I believe we're on episode 10 officially. It's kind of episode 9B, really, isn't it? Because we're just picking yeah, up where we left yeah. off because we were so tired <laughs> last time. And if, if anyone made it to, to the end of the two-hour Baton Death March, it was our last uh, <laughs> podcast. I uh, congratulate you. Yes, well done. Um, it was yeah. our film fish special where we studiously avoided all the films we like best. Yeah, yeah, because why, why would you talk about those films, right? <laughs> And um, so now, um, as I cleverly get my list of the films I did like best, because uh, I can barely remember now at this distance, because <laughs> um, we're, we're, we're in the middle of September, and you know, yes. that's a month and a half ago now. It, it was. Um, um, it'll be interesting to see what... Um, yeah, how things have settled with in their us. heads, I think. Yeah, but, um, but we've committed to this top nine, I think. Um, and, I, and I have and to say so, as well that I was saying to Doug before that um, I've really struggled to order these in a, like a one through nine fashion. Um yeah, feeling like I'm forcing them into a spot that they might not be in an hour later. And I've really struggled. I, I'm just going to um, approach it chronologically because I've really struggled to uh, find my program where I'd made my notes about it. So there's a non-zero possibility <laughs> that I'll repeat something from the last one and forget one of my favorite nine. I'm pretty sure I've got it, but um, <laughs> you know, for um, I'm not even sure we have two regular listeners anymore, so we'll just see what yeah, happens. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Do, do we have any stats on this? Uh, I have no idea, actually. Um, okay. I, I just set it That's up and, uh, to have a look in FeedBurner, but uh, I don't know what they were, what it was trying to tell me. So on the absolute... I, I should mention as a side, this um, venture that's going on now is a, as an off... Uh, shoot sort of or this own thing that aucklandcinephile.blogspot.com yes uh, yes if somehow somebody is a listener of best word worst podcast but not aware of that um or vice versa yeah well not that they're gonna yeah they're not gonna find out (laughs) about this Uh, well i do i do that's one of the features of auckland (laughs) cinephile is a weekly link roundup which is um actually been getting more links than the reason it was created which the reason it was created was to have a weekly run-up of what's coming out in cinemas and after Mm. we're done tonight i'll be uh putting the finishing touches on that blog for uh tomorrow Excellent. but um anyway so yeah film fest um shall we go do you want to go chronologically let's go chronologically yeah yeah let's do that <clears throat> okay so my my first um top nine film was killer joe oh, and, yeah, yep. uh which i know you saw and maybe w- didn't quite make your list but yeah no it didn't, um, it didn't make my top nine but i did enjoy it yeah and <sighs> There's been a couple critics, um, I'm thinking Mike D'Angelo right mm. now, who yeah. have more or less intimated that anybody who likes this film is basically a morally reprehensible yeah, yeah. scumbag. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's hard to defend yourself against charges like that when they might be true, but uh, <laughs> I think I think there's an element at which you have to take a film like Killer Joe, um, which is very larger than life. Um, you know, you have... Matthew McConaughey in his renaissance playing, um, uh, you know, this lawman who's, uh, as many lawmen in these sorts of noir films are, has a very, very dark side. This family of misbegotten um, scam artists who um, come up with ideas, each one dumber than the last. And... You have to accept at a certain level that the archetypes that are being played out aren't really meant to be related to as human beings in the same way that, you know, a Ken Loach film would ask you to relate to a a human being. And 
and I do think that, yeah, at a certain level, if, you know, it, it could be really problematic. And, and it's received some toxic reviews. Some good friends of mine have, have, were just deeply offended. Not to, not just Michael, I don't, I've never met in person, but, um, you know, people who I go to see movies with all the time. And, um, I just found it so, I mean, I was physically jaw-droppingly audacious, you know, (laughs) and particularly, um, not the, not just the famous scene, which I won't spoil though everyone else has, yeah. but um, it's follow-up um, a moment that, and just where the filmmaker chooses to end the film at just the precise moment, and then cutting to um, that song, Stroken, yeah. uh, <laughs> and it just, yeah, I mean, you have to have a certain relationship to exploitation film, yeah. and, and sort of appreciate the P.T. Barnum-esque kind of showmanship of it. And I don't... You know, there's some things I think that if you don't like as as art, you're really missing out on something. And I feel like that's... I, I mean, I don't think less of anybody for not liking anything, but I do think it'd be a, a shame sometimes if you don't appreciate certain films. I definitely don't feel that way about Killer Joe, but I, I had a big smile on my face at the end of that movie in a way that no other film festival movie gave me this year oh, okay so so yeah so i'm a sick fuck what's your uh, first <laughs> oh, pick I, I, you know on killer joe i, I found it a really kind of quite uh, like a lurid pulpy affair but it was it was really kind of reveling in it in some ways it reminded me a little bit of um the killer inside me from a couple of years ago right which um, i haven't seen um which is Winterbottom, i think um yeah but had that same kind of dark quite um twisted feel to it um but that took itself really seriously whereas freakin was just having a real laugh and clearly he wasn't being serious with a lot of the stuff and and i enjoyed that kind of real there's just a level of directorial pleasure i mean it's it's hard to put my finger on it's not as um it's not as experimental as his last feature bug which was also based on a tracy let's play but it has uh, you can you can just tell that he's really having fun yeah. as a director and um, as a filmmaker, I guess for me that really is exciting yeah. to watch. If somebody who knows the rules, but is just, I'm just going to break them right now just cause yeah. and I see if it works and, um, and let things roll a bit. And yeah. Anyway, so your uh, first choice. Okay, my first choice is probably my most um, mainstream of my picks, which is uh, Cabin in the Woods, um, which I saw on the uh, opening Friday. Um, And it was, yeah, it was just a real pleasurable movie-going experience. A a great time. Um, So uh, a genre piece, um, sort of mostly in the horror, kind of pop horror vein, a bit of sci-fi thrown in there. But it was just really having a really good time with itself. Um, it knew what it was and wasn't trying to be anything particularly deep, but it was really cleverly put together. Like, um, there were certain things where, where it played with the genre conventions a bit uh, in terms of, like, where the first person died or whatever. Um, was significantly earlier than I expected. Like, they had the opening sort of segment that always happens, the build-up segment, but then yeah. they very quickly went on to people getting, getting mowed down. I was thinking... 
hang on. There's only five people in this yeah, cabin. That's always an issue for body count movies. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which is um um which was really interesting. And then the way that they moved it along, it wasn't completely like you could you could as a sort of a person who watches a lot of film, you could see things coming that you guess I guess a lot of cinema guys might not, but but that didn't sort of take away from it. Um, had some great yeah. cameo pieces by some great actors. Richard Jenkins, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, is, yeah, was fantastic in that. Yeah, um, yeah, he was. Um, yeah. But the, yeah, the the film was just so much fun, cleverly put together for what was essentially just a fun midnight romp film. Yeah, really. I um, I loved a lot about that movie. I think mm. I mentioned last time I was sick when I was watching it, and mm. I didn't quite respond as fourth movie a day. I was really tired. Mm. Um, with time, I'd say it's one of the movies I'm really looking forward to seeing again. I'll yeah. see how I respond to it. I do have a bit of that, you know, you know that line from Fight Club. Um, yeah. Oh, that's clever. Yeah. <laughs> How's that working out for you? Yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, I'd be curious on a second viewing. I think it's either going to be um, something where I go dramatically up on it yeah. or be like, oh, yeah, it's kind of an interesting thought experience experiment well, that doesn't quite... I think um, in terms of like referencing and 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 uh, it, it does have quite a few nice little sort of sewn in references mm-hmm. and and touch points to a lot of genre material. But that's, I mean, some films kind of trade on that, and I didn't feel like that from my viewing experience that this was the case. I think yeah. it was a nice sort of touchstone for people who have watched a lot of a lot of sort of horror and genre films um, to go, ah, oh, that's the line from such and such. That's uh, that frame is. Exactly like the yeah. shot out of blah blah blah, um, but um, but I think equally you could have no idea about that stuff and still really enjoy it. Like mm-hmm. it was one of those films that I, I think it was really sad that it got canned for general release um, and it was going straight to DVD uh, in New Zealand um, because I think it probably, if word could have got out, it, it would pull a reasonable crowd yeah it's like, a I think film to market yeah but, it's, it is yeah. hard to market and, and it's that's the whole issue i guess of, of trying to get the audience but i think if an audience that would go to your sort of your everyday kind of either scary film or um even kind of quirky action film um would probably take quite well to cabin but it's just how do you get it out there yeah mm. yeah unfortunate that um my second film uh which did I mention the wall last time? The wall. Uh, in passing, I don't think you actually talked right. about it. Well, that's because it's in my top nine. So, um, and that and it was one that's probably on the edge. It's definitely mm. at the lower end. And because it has some um, thematic similarities to a film that's coming up. But um, I really did love it, um, despite its flaws. So basically, uh, Austrian film, woman who goes to a cabin in the woods strangely enough, mm. uh, and um, with her dog and discover, or not even with her dog, she gets left there with her friend's dog, and um, then goes out to the next day and discovers that there's an invisible wall separating her from the rest of the world, mm. and um, everybody else on the other side of the wall that she can see, which is not mer- many people are frozen. Um, the beginning of the film takes place um, two years after she's first discovered this, and so... Uh, it's kind of a bit of her, at this point, she started to keep a diary where she's written down everything that's happened to try to keep herself sane. And so there's this kind of intercutting between the two timelines. Uh, apparently it's based on a um, famous book and it does suffer 
a bit because it's so beholden to the text yeah. and so voiceover driven. I felt like there could have been a lot more space. And there's another film I'll talk about in a bit that um, proved that point to a bit. Um, and it was, as, as somebody who's militantly anti-dubbing, it was actually one of the few films that I al- almost thought could have been dubbed because mm. 95% plus of the um, speech in the film is voiceover. Mm. And also because the film is beautiful. And this is um, this brings up something that, you know, we're at this cusp of this 35 millimeter going away, yeah. digital coming in. And it's a very, it was a very interesting screening experience, one of two really striking ones, in that it was shot digitally on the Red Epic, which is an amazing camera. That um, There's scenes in this film that appear to be starlit, where you can still see her face quite clearly. Wow. And, and there's, no, there's no obvious external light. Um, I mean, maybe they've cheated it in some way, but they're obviously using a camera that has an amazing latitude that's only been achievable quite recently. Yeah. But um, it was still screened on a 35mm print, and so you still had the life and the vibrancy that that grain gives you. Um, But with the intense clarity, there's a lot of extreme wide shots in this film if you're walking through and going through the um, daily aspects of her life. Um, And and it was a beautiful um, combination of that digital and film aesthetic, which kind of belies that sort of simplistic, oh, are we going to have film or are we going to have digital? It's like, actually, that experience was the best of both worlds. And it's something that's, um, because 35mm distribution, at least, is going the way of the dodo, is not something that many of us will have the chance to experience much more in the future. But um, was stunning. And and also just um, uh, the one-woman performance. Unfortunately, I don't have the program in front of me. I've lost the um, actress's name. But it was a great performance well shot um and yeah a movie i really fell in love with a lot of people reacted quite negatively to the not incessant voiceover and um had had their troubles with it um i also fell in love with the dog it's yeah there's a dog (laughs) in it that's named lynx that's a director's dog and there you know um as somebody who's actually dog phobic by nature it was the first time that I and I I kind of react quite negatively to dogs in films because often it'll yeah. be like a quite cheap sympathy. Yeah, point, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, we'll kill the dog to show that somebody's bad, or we'll endanger the yeah, dog. Yeah. To, and I'm just like, it's just a freaking dog, you know. <laughs> but um, this was a film where that that relationship actually just meant so much to me and to her because it, you know it's her only companion yeah, for yeah. a huge uh, chunk of the film. And, um, you know, there's no other humans. And, yeah, and, and so that was really interesting to me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Your turn. Okay, so my um, next one uh, was uh, Andrea Arnold's um, adaptation of uh, Wuthering Heights. Which I missed. Yes. Um, that was a film, I think, that... that uh, that impressed uh, a few people who weren't expecting to be impressed, I think. Um, but likewise, it, it drew a little bit of sort of negative comment. I saw scathing reviews of it coming yeah. out of Sydney. And um, yeah. now, just just before we get into it, are you an Andrea Arnold fan? Have you seen yeah, other yeah, films? Yeah, I've, uh, I've seen 
two of her other films if she's done any more I haven't seen them uh, I've, I've, seen, I've seen Red Road and, and Fish, Fish Tank. Tank those are the only other ones yeah, that, yeah. Uh, she's done a short called Wasp but, okay, um, yeah. I hated Red Road and I haven't seen Fish Tank okay so. yeah I, I would describe Andrea Andrea, Andrea however you pronounce it Arnold um, as being kind of a social realist filmmaker but not as say stodgy or hardline as, as a classic loach you might think of the classic loach um who drifts off into relative little moments of of fancy, but yeah, not 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 quirky, but just kind of seemingly kind of at odds with the rest of the tone of the film. Um, that kind of worked really well with this because if you think of Wuthering Heights as a story, um, which I've never read, so it, I can't. I mean, it's it's that kind <laughs> of very gothic romance drama so there's like you know highly charged very melodramatic in points um very emotional um uh, yeah yeah um over the top kind of darkly romantic kind of stuff um and she essentially turns it into a a a very kind of restrained low-key low dialogue um social realist cinema piece which um it's one of those things where you know, people sort of complain about people talking about the landscape being a character, but um, it's so present um, and visceral in this film. That, like, right? Um, the the soundtrack is is quite minimal. Um, has got some great kind of um, uh, just little bits of singing, which are either traditional songs that are sung by the characters, and then I think there's an outro piece by Mumford and Sons or whatever. So it's a period piece? Yeah, it's a period okay. piece. Um, yeah. So it's um, it's set in the time where um, where Wuthering Heights is set. Um, it's faithful it, to the text. Uh, yeah, then. and it's, it's, it's in the north, um, okay. and it's very much... It's one of those things as well where um, the wind is, is a big feature in the book, like the howling wind on the lonely moors, but they right. take you into this place that you haven't really seen a lot of, and they spend a lot of it there. So, like, um, the first kind of act or um, half of the film is with um, the two main characters as kids, um, and a lot of their time is just out in the in this kind of... Uh, uh, at once, it's a very kind of stark, dreary, cold, forbidding landscape where the wind is incessant and you can hear it all the time. Um, but at the same time, it's very alive because of the wind, um, the animals, and and she gives a very visceral sense to um, country living. So it's not like this lovely grand manor that looks a bit scary. It's just like a, a dingy house that would have existed at the time with people speaking in northern accents. Um, and then kids um, finding what kind of entertainment they can in life in a harsh life out in the moors, so taking off... Um, for walks in this sort of rugged landscape, lying down in the water, getting rained on, um, gutting animals. Uh, right, wow. It's, 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 it's very kind of connected to the physical environment, um, and you really feel that. It gives you a, a very real sense of the, of the place and, and a very kind of immediate, a sense of immediacy to it. Um, the second act... Or the, or the second half, possibly, is a good way to think of it, is, um, picks up more on the melodrama, but she manages to kind of keep it quite restrained still. Right. Um, but that kind of suits the style of her filmmaking, I think, in terms of what she sometimes do, does in her other films, but because it's in the narrative, it's she can't go too far that way because it's constrained by what's, what's written, which is quite broad. Uh, yeah, I... 
I, I thought she did a fantastic job. Um, it was okay. beautifully shot. Really, really. Do you know who the DOP was? Or? Um, no, I can't remember the name, and I can't remember the name of the person who did who was in charge of the score or sound design. But um, that was fantastic. Um, okay. Um, do you know if it's coming back? I haven't heard that it is. Um, I haven't heard that it is either. That's a shame because yeah, I mean, I I am. Um, I'm curious now with that description. And it was um, another one, like, I remember last year, it was quite a big kind of, whoa, um, mixed cutoff was shot in Academy Ratio. Right. Um, and projected in Academy Ratio, and that was kind of like, whoa, what's happening here? Um, this was one of uh, two or three that I saw in Academy Ratio this year. Yeah, I've got uh, one that's on my list coming up, but yeah. um, I think we'll go to the one that you've got next chronologically for you that's also on my top nine which is oh um, the sound of my voice the, the sound of my motherfucking voice oh uh, yeah or just sound of my voice isn't no it? well but as yeah i uh tend so, to add motherfucking um, to titles that deserve um, it and written this one and starring Britt marling who you may remember from uh, another earth um, or if you haven't seen it like me you won't yeah <laughs> um and directed um as a, a quirky sort of um little um, fact um, directed by a guy named Zell Batmangley, um, who is um, the brother of Vampire Weekend guitarist songwriter um, Rustam Batmangley, who also did the um, the score for the film. Um, but first time director. Um, I, this was a film I thought had plenty of um, noticeable faults, but. And for me, some of it was in the uh, was in the writing. Like there was some exposition heavy parts that that sort of I found a little bit jarring. But overall, I found the entire thing so compelling and engaging. Britt Marling's performance and her character, oh, it just ate into my head. Um, so uh, uh, to give a little overview, um, it's got a sci-fi twist to it, but really, um, that's sort of beside the point. It may or may not be. Well, you, you don't actually yeah, know. No, and, yeah, and, and they don't and, resolve any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, but sh- she is, um, a, a, turns out to be a cult leader, and yeah. there are a, the, other, the main couple are investigating a cult as filmmakers to make a kind of expose documentary, I guess. Um, and um, But it's an open question, I think, as yeah. to how committed they are yeah, to yeah. it. And, uh, and that... And, wanes throughout the film yeah and and their experience is kind of coming into this very kind of controlling head trippy um space with a person i guess they didn't expect um who confounds them but also kind of gets into their 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 head space and their relationship in really interesting ways yeah i there were definitely better films that i saw but as a filmmaker there was no film that i was more jealous of Mm. in terms of um, it's a film that is so is re- relatively modest in its conception. I, it, it, and it's, it's largely it's, like, it's largely like you know nine people in a room um, and then a couple people driving around. And there's a scene at the La Brea Tar Pits, which you could have done anywhere. Yeah, and and a couple scenes with kids. That was a little yeah. more complicated. But um, it's just taking this idea of this woman who is, you know, claiming to be this cult leader and these people investigating this... Well, she's not claiming to be a cult leader. She's claiming, she's claiming to have come from, from the future. future. Yeah. And that's and that's kind of the nut of the film. It's like, has she really come from the future or not? And you start with believing that, obviously, this person's a fruitcake who's yeah. that. And then you're like, oh, maybe she isn't. And then... And and it's, it seesaws back and forth quite effectively. Yeah, 
Um, and it's also, it's, it's an interesting format in that it's actually, um, I heard that it was originally developed as webisodes, um, which may or may not be true, but there's nine or 10 chapters and, um, there's just an amazing precision to the cutting, the moments which it cuts Mm, to the next chapter and things like that. Um, it's only about 84 minutes and, and there's precious little time wasted in that 84 minutes. If anything, um, at the end, you feel like you want a little more because you're just left at this moment where it's like you've got all this new information to absorb and these characters having just discovered some new things and going through turns and then it's out. But um, how lovely to see a film that leaves you wanting more yeah. in an era where so many films are bloated and leave you um, just bruised and battered at the yeah. end, ready to go home and stop watching the bloody film. Um, yeah, and, and, and I've one of the things I found was like, it was such a kind of, to me, it's a, a great psychological piece. It, it, like it messed with um, ideas of relationships, truth, um, and then how much some of that stuff matters. Um, mm. But in a very unpretentious way um, and, 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 a, and in a very kind of, like it, it, it wasn't a film that was all in its own head. Yeah. But it really kind of, like it was like um, coming out of it. It was one of the films in, in the festival, possibly the film that stayed with me the most and just churned around in my head um, in the um, preceding days. Um, yeah, yeah, it's it's a really strong American indie film, and yeah. I, I hope it gets another chance here because I think it really deserves another. Yeah, if it does, look, take a chance. Um, yeah. Really yeah. Um, another film that's really modest in its conception um, that takes a much more aestheticized approach and that was um, would be one of my uh, three favorite films of the festival uh, The Loneliest Planet oh yes um, which you missed no no that was on my list as well oh is that on your list yeah, as well yeah. okay so we um, how do we talk about you, this you, you, didn't, you didn't read my uh, my in-depth review of it then I must I must <laughs> No, I, I must. It wasn't that indeed. It was a month and a half ago. Um, I, mi- I missed it looking down your list oh, there. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, we'll talk about this one as well. Um, but but again, it's it's just simply two backpackers, uh, two two travelers. You know, who are an inter interracial couple, Gail Garcia Bernal and I've forgotten the woman's name. Yeah. And it's a breakout performance yeah. by her. Um, I want to say. Furstenberg or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that sounds. Um, but um, she's she's stunning, and mm. and they go to Georgia, right? The yeah. Soviet Republic, Georgia. and yeah. they go for a hike in the cool cases. Yeah. Yes, mountains mm-hmm. with a local guide, and everything I'd read about the film says basically they go for a hike, and then something happens, and then the film changes, and. I thought, well, maybe that's ruining it, knowing that there's big... Yeah, yeah. To compare it to M. Night Shyamalan isn't fair, but there is kind of a big event that you can't yeah, yeah. give away because it's a moment when you see it. you actually like, I'm not actually seeing what I'm seeing yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it actually, interestingly, knowing that that's coming adds an amazing tension to the opening half of the film yeah, yeah. where there's these things where they're, they're quite nonchalantly like trying to cut ropes with knives yeah, and you're yeah, like, yeah. oh my god, is this where, where yeah. the thing goes wrong? <laughs> or, or, you know, walking along these slippery rock edges or, you know, there's all these potentials yeah. um, for disaster. But um, 
Julia Lockhev, who's the director, had done a film called Day Night, Day Night. Have you seen that? No, no, I haven't. Um, she's a really structuralist filmmaker, and yeah. um, and I think some of the complaints about Loneliest Planet, which I'll get into in a minute, um, uh, relate to not getting that idea of her being a structuralist filmmaker. But um, Day Night, Day Night is about a suicide bomber in New York. Oh, yes. And so it consists of one day and one night yeah. of her in her hotel room preparing yeah. to do that and she's in complete isolation yeah. and doing all these things and then the next day and night is her in the city planning to detonate and I don't really want to give away what happens with that but mm-hmm. um, she sets up all these binaries between you know this controlled environment of her in the hotel room with her and her ideology pr- planning to do this act yeah, yeah. and then the sloppiness of her in the real world and yeah. similarly um, Loneliest Planet has this kind of bifurcated structure where you yeah. have this couple who are planning on getting married and yeah. have been together for quite a while. And it, it there's quite a straight. It comes in at what seems initially quite a strange scene where um, they're in a bath somewhere, yeah. and she's jumping up and down yeah. naked. Yeah. And you know, there's a, this intimacy for them. They're, they're quite close and um, but and quite comfortable. And um, without giving anything away. I think a lot of people felt let down by the ending because they oh, yeah. felt, f- thought the film just stops and there may be one person listening to this who's seen this who's felt this way. But all I would say is think about that ending shot and think about the first shot of the film and everything in those two shots is reversed. Yeah, yeah. You know, in terms of what's going on physically in terms of the location, in terms of inside versus outside, in terms of, you know, and, and, and that's, and that's really exciting to watch a film by a filmmaker who thinks that way. But I've ranted a lot about this film. What have you, apart from your review, which everyone should have read by now. (laughs) Um, yeah, I guess I, I, I dig, um, structure in films and that's one of the things I really like. And I, and I, I really enjoyed her, she kind of, um, to my mind, um, constructs the film somewhat around, uh, it mirrors the, the action of, the, like, so they're going on this big tramp in the middle of the mountains, um, and so a lot of the time is them walking in kind of somewhat tired silence, maybe the odd word, um, and there's masses of really long shots looking at these um, this kind of morphing landscape um, whether it be kind of bizarre rock formations uh, a, a riverbed that they're sort of walking along really long slow cinema kind of shots with uh, them kind of coming in at the bottom of a shot and then walking right along the, the edge for a long time and holding that shot for ages and then suddenly getting you know these periods where they stop either for a break or for um, or for breaking it at night where they then kind of talk in this like this period of interaction and, and action um and I, I guess i sort of thought of it described as almost like a concertina feel but it, it, um the mm. the the drama in the film happens like that as well where you've got these really spare sort of drawn out sections and then suddenly these compressed little sections of action um some vocalization response and kind of yeah. tension uh, and drama which then goes into another extended period of walking 
looking at the visuals and like you said um that whole idea of the tension being drawn out because you're wondering where the thing happens but i think for me it's action happens and then the tension is naturally drawn out by this very slow paced out spacious kind of thing where the action something's happened something talked about it might not be particularly yeah. dramatic but you're just you're forced to kind of think about it as 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 much as people would be if they were on a walk like that. Yeah. Um, well, and that's and that's I guess I mean we're avoiding talking about this yeah. thing that happens as well. We should, hmm. but in a weird way, it's like the film. You know, there's there are films that are about what happens. Yeah. And there's films that are about how people respond to what happens. Yeah. And for me, I guess what's what was really sh- strong and moving about that film was. That it tapped to for me, it tapped into something emotionally deep yeah. about how when you've been through an experience mm. like that, and I don't want to get any more specific than that, but the sort of feelings that get churned up, and yeah, it, just, yeah. it just felt like a very, it, it, they just, they just felt like such real yeah. realized characters, yeah. and and the moments that you just kind of. It, it's been misleadingly dubbed mm. as a thriller, and it's really oh. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. If you go on IMDb, it's called a thriller, oh. and which is, is a horrible way to <laughs> yeah, think about is. that film. Oh, yeah. um, it, it it it's about you know, it's almost like a before sunrise or before sunset. Yeah, I, I would call it a, a, a relation a, a relationship deconstruction, kind of laid out um, or or told in a in ephemeral in ephemeral glances. Like and, and glances and gestures, small movements, um, which is really interesting because it's, these little things are just um, are backgrounded by this enormous kind of beautiful landscape background, yeah. and so you've got these ephemeral little little moments. The that, geometry they, they, of the space between yeah. them as they're walking in yeah. wide shots that just yeah. contrasted to the before and after yeah. and things like that. Um, but yeah. you've got you've got to be concentrated. You've got to be like. You're fixed on the screen because these little moments tell the story against such a massive backdrop. Uh, yeah, it's, yeah, it's very interesting. I love that it. film. Yeah. Um, and I saw that. Um, I saw that actually the night after I saw um, another film that was in one three three to one, which I loved, which I th- don't believe you saw. Uh, Taboo? No, I didn't see Taboo. Which is interesting because Taboo is also a film of two parts, right. um, and it's. Uh, a Portuguese film, black and white, uh, again in the one three three to one yeah. aspect ratio, and um, the first half of the film, it's not really clear what the film's about. There's a subtitle that says "Part One: Paradise Lost," and it starts, and it seems like it's this old film about like this guy hunting in the Amazon, but it actually mm-hmm. turns about that this old lady in present day watching a film about a guy hunting in the Amazon, <laughs> and uh, and she gets on with her life, and um, eventually it turns out she's got. She's trying to pick up this um, woman who's coming for this conference, this younger woman who's coming for a conference who doesn't show up. Um, and she's got this next-door neighbor who's a senior, who's quite old, yep. and is complaining about imagining this alligator in his room. And about 20 minutes <laughs> in, I'm like, oh, my God, I hope this woman, old woman <laughs> who's not complaining about the alligator is just is just completely crazy. Like, I'm so sick of her. I want her to go away. Yeah. I hope the film's not about her. And then the film is about her, <laughs> and somehow it's amazing. Um, 
because I, I don't really want to spoil what happens, but basically, like the first half, the first half of the film takes place, and then the second half of the film takes place fifty years prior. Oh, right, or something like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and um, and it's it's just a stunning experiment on multiple levels in that. Um, my uh, Nigel, our mutual friend, pointed out to us, um, pointed out to me that um, he'd never seen a film that did this before. But it, um, apart from the narration of the se- of the second half, it's silent, but it has all the ambient sounds that are going on. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. So it'll have people talking, and you won't hear them talking, but you'll hear them pick up something or drop something or what have you. So yeah, it's, yeah. it's not a silent film, but it is a silent film with this narrative carrying it. And it, you know, because of the black and white photography and because it's set, um, and unfortunately I'm potentially misremembering this now, but I believe in Africa, um, you know, you have this kind of like tension of the colonial kind yeah, of yeah. existence and also just this glorious photography mm. that comes from that, um, those settings and, just being, you know, black and white 133 scope yeah. of that, oh, not 133 scope, 133 is not scope, scope at all. No. 133 Three ratio. ratio. Yeah. Um, yeah, and and it was a film that I actually, I almost went to see a second time because the second half so radically recontextualized the first half of the film and was so exciting that I was just like, wow, I really want to see it again to see yeah. what the first half plays like once you know where this is going, yeah, film is going, and um, it's a glorious ride. I'm sure it'll never come back here. So, did you see it again? I, I didn't in the end. Oh, I was okay. just sick, but um, right. hopefully, um, I'm, I, it's something I would pick up on Blu-ray. It's one of my, oh, yeah. it's one of my three favorites of the festival: Taboo, Loneliest Planet, and one we'll get cool. to shortly. Um, um, did you have another one that was before that, or is it my? I think it's your turn now. Okay. Um, yeah. So my next one was. Um, a film that also um, kind of garnered a bit of uh, divisive comments. Um, I saw quite a few negative critiques of it. Was um, uh, Matteo Garoni's Reality? Um, now, are you a Garoni fan? Uh, I didn't see Gamora. Oh, you haven't? Okay, Gamora is the only film I've seen yeah. by him, and I, think, I don't know how much else was he's that done. His first one? I'm not sure if it's his first or if it's just his first to garner praise. I think he okay. had done a couple other, but I okay. think tomorrow was his breakout. Okay. So, reality was, from what I understand, and from reading and from seeing the trailer and what have you, um, far removed from, aesthetically at least, um, from uh, reality. Um, I, I really love reality. It's a very garish kind of film in many ways it's 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 set in the in the sort of the, in the thick of the Berlusconi years in Italy um where um Big Brother was a, a, a massive thing it became a sort of a cultural thing oh, like I guess in many places Big Brother got really big and particularly uh, I don't know maybe across the classes but they, they so you're they, talking about Big Brother the TV show yeah, not the, the TV okay, show yeah, yeah. and and also um kind of set amongst more of the sort of the working classes um uh, and so there's this big, I guess, a feeling that Big Brother created this sort of great fantasy thing to the point where they had like Big Brother winners, early Big Brother winners, who would go around and do uh, 
motivational speaking they turn up at people's weddings and do a thing and there's like a character there whose name i forget who who's in the opening sequence who comes along to um, a wedding of one of his family members and does the big um you know and, and his big sort of rousing phrase in english is never give up you know um <laughs> and does this kind of i went on big brother blah blah blah, blah and now never give up really you know cheesy and nasty kind of stuff but um and and it's about this guy who is uh He's kind of a two-bit um, dealer and schemer. I subsequently found out that he was played and purposefully cast um, a guy who uh, who was a, a mafia dude um, in prison. And I'm right, pretty sure okay. he got him out of prison to do the acting for it. Wow. I think. He might have been out of prison. I'm, I'm, I can get my story straight on that, but 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 it was a very interesting kind of take. And I, yeah, well, Gamora uses um, people as well who yeah. are in the mob, so yeah. I think there's um, a, a affinity yeah. there, if nowhere else. But uh, this guy is, is like um, the main kind of, uh, I guess, breadwinner, schemer, popular guy, and, and a broader family that kind of live together in a, in a sort of wide string of flats in a place. Um, and, uh, and he's got like a job running a fish market, but he's also running a scheme with a... F- couple of friends to kind of um dupe the government out of some money by selling these weird machines robots um for making pasta or whatever um right but um he things happen and um his family convince him that he should he should apply to go on on big brother because um a, a little thing comes into town and his kids go come on come on and he's like no 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 this is ridiculous but then he ends up going and then he he then something happens in his head where he goes, okay, this is my chance to get out of it all. Um, I'll become a big brother, I'll get famous, I'll make a little money, I'll, I'll be able to get out of it and take my family out of it. Um, and then he he gets obsessed. And basically, it's a it's a sort of spiralling obsession with fame and the sort of fame-fetishized kind of society that we live in. Right. Um, and hence the title, Reality. Um, he really kind of messes with the idea of what reality is. For instance, the opening sequence is... Um, uh, helicopter follow shot of um at first it almost looks like a period film of of, of a garish looking couple in this very garish looking horse drawn carriage um which turns out to be a young couple getting married going to this kind of cheesy um themed garden place um with like garish decorations and blah blah, blah. and so it's the very hyper unreal but they get drawn through these cobbled streets um in Italy in a very mundane looking very real environment and right. so he's, he's contrasting visuals all the time it's shot in a very harsh almost documentary style in terms of lighting uh, okay. camera work um which is very similar to gamora yeah um yeah. but it's kind of contrasted with the unreality of all these sort of situations and um right. and then the the place where it gets the um the more the most kind of I guess where the most sort of realistic sequence happened in the most unrealistic setting, like um, they he finally towards the end gets to a Big Brother house. Well, I won't sort of explain how it all happens, but um, suddenly um, things like um, the music pulls in. Um, oh no, no, sorry, the score sort of drops out completely. Which before that is um, the, oh the guy who does it is uh, well known Alexander Player. Oh yeah, who did, did both. Like, yeah, yeah. Um, did the score, and and he does like a perfect Danny Elfman impression, pretty much. So you've got this really harsh um, documentary-like feel um, juxtaposed with this kind of almost um, Tim Burton-esque fantastical score, 
but in the most unreal place setting of the film, so in the Big Brother house, the score then drops out to natural sound. Right. And, and it's, it's a real kind of... It's not at all subtle. It's like clubbing you in some ways, but it's a very hmm. interesting look at, at, at the way... Um, fame is sort of fetishized and it looks at this guy who slips into almost a, a mental delusion um, because he's he's convinced that the Big Brother people are, are, try, are, are testing him to see that he's good material because but no one's called him back to tell him that he's been right. accepted but he just sees them everywhere and so yeah so it's a real kind of interesting study of contrasts about um, reality sanity um, and societal and family pressures and, and have you ever seen series setting. 7 no series 7 the contenders was a film about in 2000 that was about the idea was it was a reality series where mm. people um are um sent out in the real world to kill each other mm. and whoever survives gets to go on to the next series <laughs> and um yeah it had brooke adams from uh, days of heaven who had been gone for you know from the screens for yeah, quite yeah. a while at that point and uh um and I guess that that was one of the reasons I kind of skipped reality was that it felt like it was a bit of a dated target. But it oh, is, yeah. do you feel like it's actually still quite well? It's um, it's, it's a period oh, like it's set it's set it's, back in the yeah. in the nineties, I right. guess, um, uh, late nineties, early O's maybe. Um, okay. And so it is of that time, but it, it's dated in some ways. Um, but and the cultural landscape is quite different in terms of the Italian sort of. Um, working class milieu that it's got going on is something quite different from New Zealand culture in, in many respects. Okay. Um, but the exploration around what is real, um, how people kind of dupe themselves, um, to, to, I guess to, to um, make peace with the life that they have sometimes some of these ideas are very well explored, um, not subtly, but and structurally and 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 in terms of the filmmaking, I really enjoyed the the, the harsh contrast and and the and the and the really unsubtleness of it. I, I thought it worked really well for me, and okay. particularly in terms of exploring those themes. But it really grated on a lot of people as well. True. Um, I'll go to a film that's sort of probably at the opposite edge of um, subtlety, which is uh, Two Years at Sea. Uh, by a filmmaker named Ben Rivers, who is a British filmmaker. Um, I don't remember anything about that title. It, well, given that there were about 25 people in the audience (laughs) and about 10 of them fell asleep during it, I'm not surprised you haven't heard much of it, but it is one of my three favorite films of the festival and might even be my favorite, Um, which in some ways I have a hard time justifying. Um, (laughs) Basically, it is, I, I alluded to this before in The Wall, it's about a hermit who goes and lives in, <coughs> wait for it, a cabin in the woods. <laughs> and he... It's a theme happening here. Yeah, I know. It's, it's strange that. And, um, and it just sort of documents his, his life. And um, I didn't actually know beforehand. I thought it was um, a drama. And um, I watched it not knowing if it was a drama or a documentary. And in the end, it turns out that actually it's a real person and some of the situations that he's in are real, but some of them have been dramatized. So it fits in kind of an um, interstitial space between documentary and drama, which, you know, filmmakers like, um, you know, Gia John Katie does that with 24 city. And um, I didn't see red house at the festival, but I think that does, you know, similar 
work. But um, what makes what made two years at sea a really watershed film for me? I saw it halfway through the festival. Um, it shot on sixteen mil, black and white, with um, short ends. Do you know about short ends? Uh, no. So basically, yeah, basically the idea of short ends is that, like, when they shoot a can of film, like, they'll have, you know, a 10-minute roll of film or whatever. And at the end, they might only have, like, 17 or 30 or 45 seconds left. And if you're on a pro set, they'll be like, oh, well, we're not going to use that because the next take might be a minute and a half, and we don't want to run out of film halfway through. And so there's a lot of famous films that have been made on the short ends that from other films that have been oh, like, donated, you yeah. know, or it's like, hey, these are all the bits that are unexposed film. They're not very long, but if you use them, then, you know, you, you can use it. And so, and it's a two three five aspect ratio. So it's this 16 mil, which is this very grainy film. Mm, yeah, then blown up 235. <laughs> um, but then also, um, the short end thing, what it effectively means is that... Very short scene. Uh, well, do you have to sometimes can you run them over? Uh, um, what do they do? They splice them? Well, sometimes the, the, what happens is it just ends, and that's the thing is that a shot will be going on in its rhythm, and not all of the not all of them are short ends. I don't think because they're the last shot, which is fucking gorgeous. It's the probably the best shot I saw in the um, festival this year. It goes on for seven or eight minutes oh, okay. in incredibly low light. So I mean, I think he was quite conscious about not always doing that. Yeah. But there's other things where they're playing out to their natural rhythm and suddenly it cuts to leader because the um, the end of the film is reached and, um, and the stock that is used isn't being made anymore. So um, it's a film that's about this outmoded technology that's going and the, and this man that you're following he's got a big beard he's been gone you get next to no dialogue you get next to no exposition but there's some shots of him looking at pictures and you know that he's left something behind I, and you don't know exactly what's happened you don't know exactly what he's gone through but you get a strong emotional sense of that there's been some kind of pain, there's been some kind of loss, yeah. and this is where he's at now. And so and so that, um, that sense of emotional loss in his life as he goes through the very mundane activities of his life, mundane to the point where, you know, they put people to sleep in the audience, and I won't pretend yeah. that it won't have that impact on some people. But, um, uh, but um, I just kept looking at this grain of the film... And, you know, and the life of that 16 mil grain, which is something that's now completely lost, mm. um, you know, um, and that and that's a whole, it's a very abstruse topic and I won't go too deep on it. But for instance, I saw from up on Poppy Hill the next day and it was pristine. It was a DCP and, and DCP in general, I think it's, it's a great technology and it's, mm. it's such an improvement on the other digital forms of projection that we have here. Um, but... Um, what's true to film and what is what is a fundamental thing about film is this this grain mm. which uh, uh, Spielberg had this great quote you know film is molecular yeah you know and that and that life of the grain which in this 16 mil blown up to 235 I mean the grain's just huge it's you know the yeah, grain yeah. is almost the text you almost yeah. can't tell what you're looking at sometimes because you're looking at the grain yeah, yeah. living and breathing and um, 
these things that would otherwise be very static shots yeah. suddenly have this intense life to them because of the grain. Yeah. And when I looked at all the DCP films that I saw in the fest after that, there, um, there was just this acute sense of loss that I didn't feel before. Um, because when I first saw it, you know, Cabin in the Woods on DCP and yeah. some other film, it's like, wow, it looks so sharp and it's great. And, you know, not every film needs to be about grain. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it, we're, we're at this point where it's at the end of an era for yeah. that. And it was such an elegaic, beautiful work where the form was so engaged with the content and I realize this is really a geeky way of looking at things that nobody really cares about besides <laughs> me. But um, I I thought it was beautiful, and uh, it was, yeah, one of my experiences at the festival. Cool, man. Um, no so, doubt that will probably not return anywhere. Yeah, yeah. No, I <laughs> 25 actually, people. To be honest, to be honest I, um, I contacted the film festival at one point because, you know, I... Um, thought about like, well, you know what? If the print stole in the country, maybe there are a few people who missed it that mm. um, were quite curious about it after hearing myself and some other people rave about it. I think um, Tim Wong at uh, Lumiere mm. Reader also really raved mm. about it. And um, uh, we were like, you know, we've got to see this film again. And, mm. and if I'd been able to book out that print for a couple hundred dollars, I probably would have. Yeah. But it had already Go gone on. back to the States. So, um, yeah. Now, um, I think you've got one that I missed that um, <coughs> is... Um, is that one of... Oh, yes, I missed that one on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Barbara, which was um, Christian Petzl, mm. um, was a little lo-fi film. I haven't seen any of his other work, have you? Is, he did Jericho, right? Yeah. Yes, yeah, I've seen Jericho. Jericho is and a very good film. Yellow? I have not seen Yella, but yes, he did Yella as well. Um, yeah, so he's sort of been in the fest a, a bit. Um, but yeah, this is the first of his that I've seen. Um, uh, it's set in um, 1980s um, East Germany, so pre, um, pre-war pre coming down. Um, and it's about... Uh, lady who gets sent to a small village to uh who's a doctor um gets sent to a small village for some reason clearly um she's been in trouble with the authorities um but for what it's hard to know um and it's got this kind of ostensible sort of spy film vibe except that it's really not what you'd call a spy film it's 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 edging towards slow cinema it's not but it's edging that way um it's got a very kind of measured cadence to the film um and it's about she develops a relationship with um with a doctor um her name's barbara um with a doctor at a clinic that she gets sent to work at but um she is so closed and and um suspicious as a person that um and he's just trying to i guess be friendly try and ease her into the work I mean he's probably interested in her because she's quite um, attractive for an older well she's not old but, you, know, you know of the age that they're at um, she's a quite attractive woman and uh, and you don't get a lot from, of throughput in a city like that yeah yeah in a small town like that but she, but she is they clearly are products of their environment as well um, mm. and so it's this it's this really kind of contained drama of um, of him trying to break through her defences um, relationally 
but also there's some stuff going on with her in terms of um, working with some kind of um, resistance movement um, from across the border or whatever, you know. Right. You so, know, so um, it's kind of balancing the spy yeah, stuff and the yeah, uh, relational stuff yeah. hand in hand. Yeah, yeah. Um, Without either one kind of taking the. Lead. I would say the relational s- stuff possibly takes the lead on it, but it's less uh, relational. Yeah, it's less about their interrelationship, more a character study of her, of a, of a person who has been become very closed with her that way naturally. Um, probably not. And then, I guess, trying to live a life um, on several fronts and and exist in, in the context they find themselves. It's really interesting. It's, it's beautifully shot. Um, got a really interesting cadence to it. And her as a character and, and the actress, I can't remember her name, is who's, I think, worked with um, uh, Nina, Nina Hoss? That sounds Hiss? familiar. Nina Hiss, maybe? I'd, um, I'd go with the first one. Yeah. But, uh... Um, uh, fantastic. Really, really nuanced performance. Great. Yeah, yeah, beautiful film. Um, yeah, it was on my list, and I was quite gutted that I missed it. It was one of those ones I didn't really know a whole lot about, and uh, and just thought, reading through the brochure and, and looking at the picture, the, the frame grab that they had in the festival brochure, um, appealed for some reason, and, and I'm really glad I saw it. It was um, one of those sort of surprising, touching films that, yeah, uh, that, yeah just had a lot going for it. Yeah. Yeah, it um it was on the radar from Berlin as well as did I talk about Sister last time? Uh yes. Okay, yeah. I might have to do a bit of research because th- I thought that was one of my nine. So oh man, I t- um, I totally need to see Sister. Sister was on my Berlin list. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm gonna do research to figure out what my ninth was if it wasn't Sister. Um, maybe it was. Maybe we just mentioned it in passing. Okay, um, and we'll, you, we'll you pretend probably should have seen this. Yeah, we'll pretend that Sister's my ninth. I might do a double check. Um. I'll do a very quick press on Sister then. Um, yeah. It was Ursula Meyer who had previously done a film called Home. We have discussed this because Home's the surrealist version of Frogger. Oh, uh, yeah, And yeah, yes, yeah. yes. This okay. is all coming back. Yeah, so. okay. So I've got to figure out what my ninth is. Anyway, Sister's great. You should see it. But we won't talk about that right now. We'll talk about um, Holy Fucking Motors. Holy Motors! So I think we both have different takes on this film even though we love it. So why don't you talk about it first? Okay. Well, and I'll so give my take on it. Then. Holy Motors was my most anticipated film of the festival. Same um, here. And it... It blew me away. It was fantastic viewing. It probably, much like yourself, isn't my top pick from the festival a few weeks later. Um, but it was just... I mean, I, I read it as a kind of... An, an essay to the... And, and I wouldn't say... I, 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 didn't, I didn't sort of think of it as a eulogy at the time, but like an exploration of the changes in cinema. Um, it was rich with references that I no doubt missed the bulk of, um, but I picked up a bunch of them. Um, it's, it's a really kind of interesting, bizarrely interesting film with, with a interesting set of actors and, and, uh, and, uh, and a whole massive background that I think you alluded me to that I had no idea about. Yeah. Um, so had you seen any Leos Carrick's films no. before? So yeah, Leos Carrick's, I mean, one of the reasons this is my most anticipated film, well, A, um, I follow 
hashtags of international film festivals because that's what people like me do um and uh and so i was watching the con twitter feed mm. when um holy motors came out and within nine minutes seven people had said something like that almost things to the extent of there's no reason for anybody to ever make another film now that holy motors exists that um that's like wow that's a it's a reasonably yeah. big statement um, Leos Carax directed my favorite live action sequence in the history of cinema. Oh, really? I say live action because the cat bus arriving in my neighbor Tatara is my favorite. Oh, right. Yeah. Ever, anything <laughs> in uh, cinema. But um, he did a film called Mauvais Song, which features a young actor named Dennis Levant, who is the, the heart of Holy Motors. Motors yeah. uh, it's impossible to imagine Holy Motors without. Mm. But um, there's a scene in. Um, movie song where he's just fallen in love with um a young Juliet Binoche actually. Oh really. Um who I think is like a mobster's wife in oh, the yeah. film or something and, and Juliet Binoche is I think a bit older than Dennis Levant even at that point. And um uh and there's a scene where he runs down the road uh set to David Bowie's Modern Love and it's a long tracking shot just following him and it's this very expressionist kind of thing that it, it doesn't even really make sense that it should be happening at that point in the yeah. film. And that's part of what makes it beautiful and what's kind of fundamentally a Leos Carax kind of thing is this, yeah. this deep romanticism mm, yeah. um, in something that's purely cinematic mm. and impossible to imagine in any other medium. And um, I mean, I just, when I saw that the first time and I was lucky enough to see it on a film print in the first time I was yeah, I'm just blown out of my seat, ready to cry at just like this beauty. And I'm just like, it's a guy running down the street to David Bowie's Modern Love. It doesn't sound that mm. impressive, but it just worked well. And then he did a film called um, Lovers on the Bridge, or uh, Le Amont de Pont Neuf is the uh, French name, because the Pont Neuf is the bridge. Yeah, yeah. And actually that, that bridge features in there. And that film kind of ruined his career, because it was it went way over budget, uh, it was a financial disaster. Yeah. It took years and years to come out in the States because they lost so much money locally that they were trying to make lots of money on the overseas sales. And yeah. everyone's like, why would we spend a lot of money buying this film that didn't even do well? At home, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it's two and a half hours long. And it's like the, about this guy who's got this sick leg and it's about this bridge. <laughs> it's like, you know. Um, and so, so it was a debacle that kind of ruined... Carrick's career for a long time and then he managed to make a film called Paula X that as a adaptation of uh, who's the guy who uh, Proust uh, novel but um, that came out in like 2000 and then the only thing he's done since then was a short film that was in the Tokyo Omnibus oh, okay. and then finally he um, got Holy Motors off the ground and just as he got Holy Motors off the ground his or somewhere in there uh, his wife, who was an actress in Polax, committed suicide. Um, Katerina Golubuva, I believe. I probably got the name not quite right. Um, and the first frames of Holy Motors are mentioned to that. And there's mm. the Kylie Minogue sequence in um, Holy Motors owes a lot to that. The what? The Kylie Minogue sequence. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, I guess what I'm getting at is there there was a, um immediate reaction from Khan 
that oh, it's, like, oh, it's this crazy fun film. All this stuff happens, and there's lots of fun stuff in it. You know, there's there's these. Oh, you know, I didn't I didn't read it as fun. Yeah, no, I I, t- I, re- I talked to people who had seen the first screening of it, and like, oh yeah, it's really silly, and like you know, and the and they're quite and and there's the goofy stuff with Dennis Levant being you know coming out of the sewer to Godzilla music. Oh yeah, and stuff yeah. like that, and uh, there's a there's a visionary scene where he's. Um, in a in a um, green screen kind of three um, D modeling oh, environment yeah. and um, and some other very surreal kind of scenes and um, and I've seen many reviews talking about how audaciously fun this film was and I was quite surprised how sad I was mm. at the end of it and I think part of it's probably reflected in that. Um, uh, you know, the suicide of his wife, and I think some of that comes through. But also, yeah. um, you see the Pont Neuf in the background, and and if you watch Le Amant de Pont Neuf, there must have been a crew of 100 people doing these crazy scenes lit at night with fireworks displays going off on this giant bridge. Mm. And, um, and the conceit of Holy Motors without trying to give too much away, is that basically... How, are we going to get a little bit spoilery? But the, I'm, I'm happy to, because I, I feel like yeah. I want to talk about it a little bit. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I, th- I think this isn't too much to give away. Basically, Dennis Levant's an actor in the film, but in the film, like... And it's not quite clear exactly how it works, but he's given these jobs throughout the day, and he goes to these locations, and he acts. And what becomes more and more obvious is the cam- cameras are invisible and he's playing these roles in these movies that are happening. But And then he goes back to this limousine. And so the apparatus of film is sort mm. of um, deconstructed down to just this limousine with this driver. And the yeah. driver is Edith Scobe, who was in a film called Eyes Without a Face, uh-huh. um, which is evoked at the end where you actually see her... Yeah, with the mask on. Yeah. Uh, and... And but he does all his own makeup. He does everything. Yeah. He does in a memorable scene in a warehouse. He does his own special effects, effects somehow yeah, yeah. in a, a glorious, crazy scene. Yeah. Um, and God, I want to talk about the end, but that would probably be too spoilery. Yeah. Other than to say that was the point where I I had people say to me I was with it to the end, and then the end it was like I think the quote someone said he was just trolling us with that end, wasn't he? And um, I actually found it deeply sad yeah. still, even though it's quite silly on one level. Um, it does speak to like this just kind of, um, well, I guess I guess an- another thing that was on my mind watching it, there's this great tradition of European filmmaking films like yeah. Eight and a Half and Day for Night. And they're yeah. always about this big, crazy family of people who come together to make a film and yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. all these relationships. And um Holy Motors is a film about filmmaking yeah. where it's about one guy in the back of a limo no, yeah. and the person driving him and like briefly there's a producer that shows up and, yeah, yeah. and that's like it, you know, and it's and and he has these brief semi sort of human contacts with some of his other actors. Yeah, and that's and that's it. And that, and it's just like I don't know, maybe it hits people differently, but knowing Carax's history and knowing how much he struggled to make films and how he's made this film on a fraction of the budget of what he had of his other films. Yeah. Yeah, it just was deeply sad to me. I mean, structurally, it, it plays out as, as a bunch of kind of kind of archetypal scenes representing cinema in its various forms from classic European dramas of times past to motion capture technology employed in something like 
you know, the Beowulf adaptation that was done a couple of years ago. Um, (coughs) And that's such an amazing scene because there's such a... It it talks about how... um, I don't know, you just have this poetry emotion of Dennis mm. Levant moving. Yeah, And yeah. Dennis Levant is the world's best special effect. And it, yeah, and yeah. then you cut to the... And then you see what they're making King. from him. <laughs> and there's this kind of implicit sort of like impoverishedness of imagination that, yeah. you know, after you've seen Dennis Levant on this soundstage moving for five minutes in just jaw-dropping ways... And then you see and the CGI see, that sort of painted yeah, on the top. And, yeah, yeah, and it's just like, you know, actually... What are we losing with that? Yeah. But anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you there. And there's touchstones all the way through it that uh, everyone will pick up a little bit of different um, pieces of classical and not so classic cinema. Yeah. Well, the Godzilla theme and uh, yeah. Beauty and the Beast it's... sticks out, and uh, oh, the, yeah. Um, the yeah, the the gravestones. There's a classic. <laughs> there's a classic. Um, the the classic setup in, in the Beauty and the Beast sequence where. Um, I don't know the painting that it's taking or whether it's sort of uh, where they end the end the the scene with um or essentially sort of end the scene with um with what is like a still portrait um that I'm trying to rack my brain to see what it is but I can't I can't remember what it is and I hadn't sort of searched for it for a while. Oh, you're talking about when they're underground. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's like the um passion, isn't it? Uh possibly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's mm. <laughs> There's a lot to love in that scene. Yeah. Um, um, and then there's, then there's like a... a, a with Eva Mendes as yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Beauty and... Uh, the more, most interesting role she's been in. Then there's the Kylie Minogue role, which is a sort of... Had touchstones. And then... Yeah. Um, oh, there's... Um, there's like a, a... She's singing a song and she sings the line, Love's a, um, love's a beast. Um, and as she sings it through... Uh, a window in the back wall you see um, Notre Dame Cathedral. Um, I did not pick that. Um, nice. Just little moments like that yeah. um, where he's kind of ranging all over the place and, and it really is like uh, this yeah, slightly or very sort of sad love letter to cinema and and how it's sort of morphing. And So did you feel that sadness when you watched it? Yeah. Because I've talked to so many people who haven't. And I was yes, really Steve and I, um, Steve Tao and I, caught up afterwards, and we yeah. j- just had a kind of a brief thing of saying how we we loved it, um, but that it, you know it, it it had well what we thought it was from sort of just first impressions that it was a, a kind of a I don't know if we use the word eulogy to cinema, but um, certainly um, a kind of a, a very considered um, look at the changes happening. Interesting, because yeah, I mean yeah, there's obviously a lot of the you know what's happening with cinema but also um i was just so shocked at how deeply sad i was at the mm. end of that and i i no, with the scenes that, like with the kylie minogue scene like yeah how, how can you not but but at the same time like the silliness of like um i don't want to give this away and it would be rude to yeah, give it away yeah. but the last place that we see Dennis yeah, yeah. in there or even the context of the final se- the very last yeah, yeah. scene um you know, people are like, "Oh, that's obviously just silly," and um, and are, but I, I just, I don't know. I just felt I felt that sadness the whole time. So it's it's interesting that you felt that too, because I think we're in the minority on that. Mm. Um, but um, at least we're in the minority together. Yeah. Um, now um, you've got one more film that you saw that I didn't that oh, you right. rate as a uh, yeah, just the top one. nine one. Yeah, this, this is possibly. 
this possibly takes my first position. Like, when Your I, first when, position? Yeah, wow. when, I, when I was ordering my list, this sort of floated around the top. Um, now, this was in slow cinema, and I, I yeah. feel like I made some bad decisions in slow cinema this year. Um, in the Fog was one that I picked that I was not a fan of. Oh, yeah. And uh, something else that was slow cinema as well. But This, um, this was, well, I, I didn't even really sort of look where this was. It just, um, it appealed to me um, primarily because it's um, set in a Romani community, um, or what people might know as um, gypsies, um, in... Um, uh, is it Croatia or something like that? Maybe um, I'm trying to trying to think. In, in Central Eastern Europe, anyway. Um, and I spent a little time um, uh, a number of years ago um, uh, for a summer uh, doing some kind of um, aid work stuff in a Romani community in um, Serbia. Wow. Um, and so it had a had an appeal to me, um, just because of the context. Um, but I didn't know much else about it. So, do you think that, that coloured your experience of the film? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Well, I mean, possibly, possibly a little bit. But having sort of downloaded with some people, Steve Garden and what have you, I, I think sort of we came to a, a, a similar kind of place on it. Um, it's really, really beautifully shot um, in a. I don't know what it was shot on. I presume it was shot in 35mm. Uh, I presume it was shot in film, and I presume it was projected in film in 35mm, but maybe it wasn't. Um, but it was... Um, there was a real visual sense of space um, in terms of um, the landscape and... And in terms of the sort of the timing of shots, right? Um, there was something about the description that evoked uh, Jerry and Elephant to me. Were either of those like kind of along the lines of where it was coming from? I haven't seen so Elephant. Much? I've seen Jerry. Um, yes, in terms of some of the visual aspects. No, not so much in terms of the flow of the film. Um, it has a very kind of distinct narrative um so essentially uh what are the it's uh, sort of based around some actual events that happened um uh, wherever it was shot which i forget it's terrible um uh, where some romani communities were targeted um by um by some people who didn't like gypsies i guess um right. and um so you had this family who were you know Path of the course, relatively impoverished. Mum was working several jobs as best she could. Kids were getting to school or not. Um, a sister who was kind of looking after some of them. A granddad who was pretty much laid out in ill health kind of thing. Um, but her, they'd sort of heard about some of these um, house sackings and mass killings that had sort of gone on in the neighbourhood. And so they were kind of looking out for each other. But then they had this other sort of vigilante group that was sort of going around in some ways ripping people off and in other ways trying to look after the community um and it, it's really the story of this one family in particular the sister and the brother um and a, a day i think for them basically a day where they kind of go off to their various things um and and do their thing um meet up and then there's this real sense of um tension and tragedy that builds a proper um towards 
uh, an expectation of just like the the worst expectations coming to fruition um and both steve and i commented that um the film could have been notch as better or notch or so better if they left some stuff unresolved that they resolved um in some ways it had a very not some ways had a kind of a hanukkah film to it uh, feel to it um in terms of the tension and um the kind of the you know how he, he, he creates a sense of pervasive menace mm-hmm. in shots that don't visually have menace. Right, yeah. <laughs> um, that real psychology um, happening. Uh, um, and, and there was some of that going on there. For me, there was some um, some visual kind of um, relation to, uh, to um, Claire Denis. Um, and in some ways, not that it was her best film, but... Um, uh, white material that played a couple of years ago. Right. Some some of the um the camera movement and the and the the style of shooting reminded me a little bit of of um her work in there. Okay. Um. But yeah, it was just a really kind of great, almost like an old European cinema vibe to it. Um. And a and a very kind of easy pace film uh, almost like a cash a, a very natural sense of flow and movement to the camera and 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 some some great warm so is it handheld or is it kind of more of a a mix i think okay, okay. yeah um i really wish i'd seen it. it it sounded amazing and um i just hadn't quite I'd kind of done my slow cinema quota and I've been yeah. disappointed with both In the Fog and Student and then I it think I saw your... Uh, it didn't feel hard work to me at all. Right. It didn't feel like hard work. It felt... That's a secret, like, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Finding those films that are... Uh, it, it really, it really yeah. it hit its pace very nicely um, and it was just... It's, it was really beautifully realised. Um, but yeah, it was like... Um, Almost like an, an 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 early work or or a you know a developmental work of of a of a of a a cinema great. So here's a question yeah. for you. This is you're saying this was potentially your best film in the festival, and mm. yet you've given it like a couple pretty strong equivocations. Mm. Um, uh, do you think this was a off year, or do you think in any way, or do you think that like for the festival overall, do you think that there weren't as many strong works here as there were in other years? No, no. I felt that this was this was a pretty a pretty good strong year overall. Actually, okay. I had less clangers this year than I've had. I perhaps didn't have that one kind of film that just kind of caught me out of left field, right? And uh, probably the closest experience I had to that might have been Sound of My Voice, actually. Yeah. Um. But I, I quite like sometimes sort of bizarre not necessarily great films but sort of odd oddities that um that kind of come and grab yeah, you yeah yeah no um, i, I was just curious i didn't have a yeah, strong opinion one way or another on yeah. that but it was just something i observed from that um one thing i felt for most of the festival was that um i didn't really feel shook up by a film 
Mm. I didn't really feel like I came out of the film just completely um, slapped in the face. And then we got to the Until end of the it. last one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Motherfucking compliance. Compliance, oh, my wow. goodness. Um, I, to start with, I got to tell you this story. I, um, <laughs> I got home from compliance and... Um, I didn't know much about... I, I knew I knew more... In a way, I knew more than I should have about compliance going in than I did, because um, I knew the true story that it was based mm. on. Um, and I knew uh, And I knew that it covered that. Um, and I knew some of, something about its aesthetic approach. But um, I uh, I think I was talking to somebody about it, and, I, and they weren't sure if they should see it, so I went to download the... to send them a link to the trailer... And I went and I went to watch the trailer, and halfway through the trailer, I was shaking in tears because I was so angry and just so overwhelmed and just brought back to that place yeah, yeah. that that film brought me to. And uh, it's it's an accomplishment. Uh, do you recommend a film like that? I don't know, but it's an yeah. I I would recommend it. There were certain people that I would say should probably not see it. Um, yeah. Like I, I think of particular people um, that I would just I wouldn't I'd tell them to avoid yeah. it because I don't think they'd cope. Yeah, um, it, it's a film that's attracted I think a couple different kinds of criticisms. Yeah. Um, how much can we say about this without giving too much away? Um, it's set at a fast food restaurant in the United States. Yeah. Where um, in, cent- in Middle America, I, yep. do they specify? I don't know. I, I think it's meant to to feel like just it could be anywhere. It feels like Ohio to me, but that's yeah. I grew up in Michigan and we yeah. live down in Ohio. But <laughs> uh, but but it doesn't really look down. But it it is very much like a um, a small town fast food. Yeah, what you'd expect to be the kind of, the, a kind of person who would be managing a or or working at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, but you got you got your kids who are sort of doing the night shift or whatever. Um, your late teens or whatever, your students, and then you've got your adults who you expect might be working at a stereotypical adult working at a fast food restaurant. Yeah, who probably would have hoped for better at their yeah, life at yeah. that point. And um, and Anne Dowd in particular, who's the yeah the wait the um, manager, yeah. yeah, who gives an amazing performance. Yeah. I, I think there's there's a problem that I often have with a lot of films that depict what I guess you could say is lower middle class America yeah. that often are quite condescending and I felt like this film was never actually condescending to that no. class at all but she gets a call from somebody who purports to be a policeman, policeman. saying yeah. that there's an issue with one of her uh, staff, empl- members, staff yeah. members and um, can you look into this and what evolves out of that uh, is the dramatic yeah, grist yeah. of the film, which I don't think it's... I, I, on one hand, I don't think it's fair to subject that film to people who don't know what they're getting into. On the other hand, I don't think it's fair to give it away. Yeah. So other than to say that if you're not sure if you're comfortable with that stuff, do yeah. some reading there, beforehand. There's, there's some you know, uncomfortable sort of voyeurism. Um, there is... It's yeah, yeah, there's quite a it quite, walks, quite a lot of psychological heft to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it walks a delicate edge, and yeah. I think the interesting thing is people say what well, a lot the I mean the woman next to me quite literally vocalized that it was unbelievable. But the thing is that this is actually based on a true, true story. story. Yeah, and there in fact 
um, Craig Zobel, the director, writer, has pointed out that... I think there was um, like 75 incidents. Well, A, there were 75 incidents, but there were also um, incidents which I've read him describe that are just like so much more extreme yeah. than what's shown in the film. And um, the que- I mean, ultimately, the question uh, that the film asks, you know, is like, would you in this situation... Be any different. Yeah, and and the fact is that some people are quite quick to look down on yeah yeah well everyone kind of would like to think that i'd never go along with this but yeah yeah but but it happened and it happened a lot and and that that there was a kind of a community of complicity happening yeah and even and and you get all these sorts of different edges of that spectrum in the film and the way Mm. that different people who are brought into this scenario respond buy in or don't buy into various ways Mm. but still ultimately Mm. participate in it and it's the it's just such strong performances such strong writing um uh, steve garden he mentioned before felt like um that may, perhaps the filmmaking was a bit overbaked and he uh, pointed to steven soderbergh's bubble which i haven't seen yeah I, as an example of a film that was maybe more naturalistic um you know you do have some driving yeah i've seen music. bubble and, yeah. I, and i think i, I get what he's saying i i, I particularly think I I I kind of agreed with the point that he said where it would have been quite interesting um, if they'd left the police the 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 caller's character off screen the entire time and mm. just had the voice would have been perhaps a little more effective from my point of view, but at the same time I can't. The film was pretty effective. Yeah, I guess it's interesting because, um, I and in fact, um, Zobel um, has said that he and and Pat Lee, who's or Pat Healy, excuse me, Pat Healy, who was a, a wonderfully kind person in The Innkeepers, and who I never would have thought had this in him. Yeah, he, he, he gives a fantastically creepy yeah, yeah. Um But. Um, uh, he, uh, I think they both made it clear in interviews that they went into the film saying you may not appear in the film. Yeah, and I think I think Zobel made cuts of the film where it wasn't in that. And ultimately, I think what he said was that that film became about like, oh well, isn't it obvious that, that person's actually not a cop? Yeah, yeah. And so um, he ultimately felt that showing that that person wasn't was it what yeah took away that sort of focus yeah, yeah exactly okay. and, oh, yeah, I and, and i guess we can discuss that now because yeah. it's quite a real plot <clears throat> turn um but um yeah i'd be i mean i'd it'd be a great dvd bonus feature if you put out a block yeah yeah a, a rough cut of it that had you know no. that that version of it yeah, i mean yeah. it wouldn't be as finished in any number of levels but i'd love to because, I mean, I guess any complaints that I have with this film are against this sort of hypothetical version of this film that I haven't seen. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, it's like, that might play better in your head, but when you well, actually I, I, see, see it, I don't see that. I, I wouldn't call it a complaint. I, like, I, 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 I love that film. I found it incredibly affecting and effective. I find it a hard film to say that I love. But I'm, It's amazing. Well, it's, yeah, yeah. It's affecting. Okay, yeah. Um, I but, wouldn't, you yeah, know, maybe, take it maybe home that's not the mom. right term. But, but um... <laughs> But I, I I just wondered how it would play, or whether it might have played in a, in a slightly more interesting way if they hadn't. But it's interesting to hear that uh, that the process that they've uh, talked through on that. Yeah. But yeah, but certainly Pat Healy's performance was uh, 
pretty phenomenal. Yeah, and <laughs> and and all the and yeah, just across the board. Um, yeah, I think that it's a it's a great cast and yeah. a strong film. And but I I had that, physical responses to that. I found myself multiple times, kind of kind of clutching my hand in front of my eyes and looking away from the screen, not because of what was happening on the screen, but just because of the psychological kind of ah. Well, just the relentless pressure. Yeah. It, you know, and it's... Um, and and you know, at the it's, end, it's, I'm going... Yeah, well, there, there's, kind of a, there's kind of an extruded actual, and, yeah. you know, kind of... Yeah, the, yeah, And that was something that, you know, you have this kind of Aristotelian unity where that kind of most of the film takes place in, and then there's a bit of um, stretching at the end, yeah. and that, that was something that I wasn't as sure about. Although I really did like the uh, the scene of the actual cops driving to the restaurant hmm. i love that it's a really interesting choice of shot that yeah. yeah yeah well that's that was pretty much our new zealand film festival mm. hits of the year yeah, um, yeah thanks to uh the bowmore 12 year who's uh supported us with their uh single malt for this evening excellent by which i mean i bought it so yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs>